You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Buggs. Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this week is a Indie Talk week. So that means, my friends, I have my good friend and co-founder of Bonsai Creative with me, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. What's up, folks? It's good to be back. Yes, it is. It is June, the end of June. Half the year is over, Nick. What do you think about that? (laughs) That sounds like some... Was it glass half empty type stuff? I mean, half the year is over. Uh, it's just done. No, man. Half the year still awaits us. Mm-hmm. You're on the precipice. <laughs> Six small months of greatness. <laughs> so like a Groundhog's Day thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you come out of COVID and see your shadow, there'll be six more year- months of COVID. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Groundhog just doesn't come out. He's like, nah, man, not going to do it. Right. According to Gavin Newsom, we saw our shadow. Right. So, so yeah, it's we're, we're all going to have to do this for six more months. And actually, we should we should sort of future scape this and, and say when this episode airs, it'll be probably the first week or two of July. So likely the first week. And so actually, it's past the halfway mark for those listening. And uh, Wow. We have really jammed in a lot of stuff in six months, not just us as uh, creatives uh, and thought leaders, but but us as like, I mean, the world and the country. And um, it's almost it's almost more information than you can track in a in a given time period, you know? Yeah, there's like you said, a lot going on. And I don't know, since we have fewer external distractions, you know, from like just normally living life outside of our homes, uh, we can consume more of the content that's being thrown at us in so many different ways. So it seems like it's some, sometimes it's information overload. Uh, but I don't know. I think for me, since I wasn't a, an avid consumer of all that stuff before, it kind of seems like, I don't know, maybe it's the norm. That's for me. But other people around me are just like, kind of inundated with all the stuff that's happening right now. Right. I think for me and you, we kind of are in the same boat in that regard. Um, picking your sources of input uh, is a great way to uh, design your life in terms of sort of blocking out time to do the things that are important for you to do. Uh, if, if too much TV is in that life design and, and content sort of consumption is in there, uh, it feels like I, I know for me, I, I don't think I would get anything done. Um, but you couldn't, there's been so much created. You couldn't possibly Nick, like, you know, delve into all of that and reflecting back on those six months, I'm trying to create a line and maybe I'm being too linear, but I'm trying to create a line between January and now, and how the independent creative has fared throughout all this. So we have these movements that feel very organic, right? The COVID, we're all in in this together movement. That feels like an organic independent movement. It doesn't feel like a movement, you know, by a corporation. It feels like, you know, some version of the Tea Party or something. (laughs) Uh, uh, The Black Lives Matter movement, equality, uh, or the, the move towards getting us away from inequality, let's say that. And um, that feels like that happened in the streets. And I think it did. But as it relates to filmmakers, I don't know if the independent filmmakers have been invited into sort of the, the profit-sharing party, the, the, the money party, uh, that it, that's going to exist and the content you're going to see in the next year that's going to be about 
you know, uh, protests and, you know, black media and, and um, movies with people of color and brown skin and, and uh, uh, films with more women directed by more women, um, movies about pandemics and politics. I don't know how much independent creatives are going to be invited to that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you and I talked about the money flow. Uh, we've heard of a number of celebrities or, and organizations who've got, you know, either influx of money into their programs or have put, you know, tens to hundreds of million dollars into what is being called, you know, um, Black Lives Matter type content. You know, it's it's things that are, you know, representing the black community. And, you know, we're going to put more money into these things. And and as I see that and some people see that and they, they talk to me, you know, knowing the industry that I'm in, they're like, you know, that's got to be great for you guys. You know, it's got to be great for independence. You know, all this money is coming in. It's got to be great for people right now. I'm like, no, it's not really how it works. <laughs> and, I, you know, <laughs> and it's kind of an unfortunate thing, but it gets just back to what you and I always talk about, about first principles about being an independent filmmaker. It's like, you know, as I tell people, it's like, yeah, that sounds great. You know, so-and-so has pledged a hundred million dollars to produce content that is representative of the black experience. I'm like, that's awesome. And, you know, we all appreciate that, but that, that money is not for independence, right? That money came from millionaires and is going to go to millionaires. You know, they want the faces that they know and love and recognize to be on the screen telling those stories. You know, they're not looking for the next independent filmmaker to come along and say, hey, yeah, I want to give you money to make a film because, you know, this isn't really it's not charity. You know, these funds that are being created and these folks who are decided to spend this money, they plan to make this money back. Right. So they need to minimize their risk and increase the probability of of making that money. So they're not they're not betting on independent filmmakers right now. And, you know, from your and I perspective, I know we're like, you know, that's that sucks. You know, like how can independent filmmakers really take advantage of this opportunity where there's an influx of desire for this type of content and there's an influx of money for this type of content? Well, I think people are listening now more than ever. And I think that people may have a a more free schedule. Um I mean, we certainly know that there's a limit to being on set. It doesn't mean, you know, celebrities aren't doing interviews and um, aren't all over the place and filling their schedule in other ways and, and creating other revenue drivers elsewhere. But I think if you were an independent creator and you had a great idea, see, the, because to your point, Nick, the system still works the same, right? It's not that um, something benevolent has happened and all the money people in the world said, you know what, let's set aside $50 million, $100 million, and let's go and create um, progressive movies, progressive TV shows, progressive documentaries. Let's go take that money and put uh, black and brown independent creators to work or those who support that content to work. That's not how it happened. That's not how it happens. Um, the money flow still works the same as it always has, right? Even in the independent world. You have a great movie or a great screenplay, great story. You work that out. You get a producer or two that can push that story and and sort of almost package a deal and get uh, a couple of names attached to it. Then you can go and get financing based on who's attached, who's producing the genre, the whole sort of package. Right. Well, the same Mm -hmm. thing has is working here. It's, Let's get Maverick Carter and LeBron, who right, we trust yep. and know, and they have an office on a studio lot. And let's send them the money. And because they've already told us they've curated, you know, Prentice Penny and <laughs> it's like uh, Issa Rae and like a bunch of other people that are like Lakeith Stanton, like they've already got the content curated, then they got the money and then you saw the new story about it. See what I mean? Oh yeah. Especially so, because so the, money's, the money's going to take care of the money already knows it's getting its money back. Yeah. But especially because those folks, like you just mentioned, some of the actors, some of the directors, um, African-American writers, you know, they're also, you know, friends with these people like, you know, LeBron and others and have been probably been wanting to make content and they talk about it. 
you know, hey, I'm working on this and this thing and I'm, hey, I'm working on that thing. And, you know, with film, there's, you know, skill, but there's also timing. Right. And the timing isn't always something that, um, you know, you select like you pick the right timing. Something sometimes the timing picks you. And, you know, some of these stories could have been sitting on the shelf for a while, but all of a sudden BLM hit. Right. And all those stories that, you know, people have been hearing about, hey, I've been working on this latest project and looking for financing. Like, ah, I don't know if that's going to hit right now. Boom. BLM hits. And all of a sudden, these stories that have been sitting on the shelves of these connected directors, writers and actors then make it, you know, to the forefront. So, yeah, I think that there's there's already a game afoot there. And, you know, there's no open door um, in that world for the independent filmmaker. But you take that and you say, okay, well, it's not all gloom and doom for the indie filmmaker right now. You know, you did mention that, you know, if you've got a great story, you know, this might be, you know, a great opportunity for you to, to have a voice, you know, cause people are listening and it gets back to, as I mentioned earlier, we talked about first principles, uh, it gets back to those questions about, you know, why you, why now and why this film, you know, I noticed that they're going to be doing uh, was it Netflix got the Colin Kaepernick story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, okay. Why you, why now, why this film? Right. That, that answers all it answers the mail, it, right. It, it answers it, all of those questions. It really does. And, and look, I'll, I'll add the, the, the fourth why, which is why me, if you're looking at it from the investor standpoint. So I would add to that, and this is kind of an amendment to my previous statement that I really didn't complete on the last time I was speaking. But uh, if you're an independent creative and you have an idea, this is your best time to pitch it. People are going to listen, I think, more than before. And you're going to have more of an opportunity to get names uh, attached to your project during a time like this. I think that you might get lucky if you're pitching your story is great and you can answer those why questions. Why you? Why now? Why this film? And then you can actually bring it home by whoever you're speaking to. So let's say just for shits and giggles, it's you know LeBron and Maverick Carter. If you got to pitch to them and send them a prospectus and you could tell them why you want them to be the financier and the executive producers of your project and have a compelling answer for that. I feel like your chances of getting a win are greater now than they were last year for certain. Yeah. And I think it's cause you said, you know, people are, they're listening now, you know, they're, they're paying attention to this. I mean, the fact that there's a black lives matter collection on Netflix means that, you know, people are listening now and, you know, let's take it back though to the wise. And the first one I think is likely one of the most important ones, which is why you, and, you know, what we're really getting at, you kind of have to be, you know, it's, you know, let me be clear, (laughs) (laughs) you know, on this, on this point, (laughs) because it isn't just like tangentially why you, it's really, the question is why uniquely you, right? Like, why are you not just, why are you telling the story, but why are you the only person who can tell this story, mm-hmm. you know, like that's, that's really the key there. So we've, we've asked the question why you before, and we've heard things like, so let's bring it back to the BLM and we're like, well, why you, well, you know, cause I'm a black man in America. So, you know, I get it. I understand what's going on and why now, because of the black lives matter movement, you know, people are paying attention. People are listening. Wait, what your, why you is because you're a black man in America. Right. You're not the only black man in America. Right. Like that's not a qualifier for a why you or it's not a good enough one. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not because it's not the thing. Why uniquely you. Right. What about this story is unique to you, your experience or an experience that you alone know so much about that only you can bring it, you know, to the stage only you can bring it to the screen that's really what we're asking about we heard the same thing with um you we, know when we had the we hear it in almost every every keynote speech or talk we give when we ask the why you question and why this film question 
And the answer is almost, you know, because I'm passionate about stopping child slavery or the sick or sex trafficking, for example. And it's like, it's hard to turn around and tell that person that's not a good enough why. Because, well, but it, but it's true. Like what you really want is I was a victim of sex trafficking. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> or my sister was a victim yeah, and I yeah. lived that experience. Right. You know, like, yeah, it's why uniquely you, why are you qualified, uniquely qualified to tell this story? Again, if you take it back to the Me Too movement and even before Me Too, just the idea of, um, you know, the stuff that was going on for women, period. Um, you know, when there was the, you know, people grabbing things they shouldn't be grabbing. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, during that whole period, we heard the same thing about, you know, people are looking for stories about women right now. Like it's a big thing. And as a woman, you know, I can really tell these story like, no, (laughs) you know, this isn't a generic thing. You know, you as a filmmaker are really butting up against an industry of filmmakers who are making product. Right. So you have to have something compelling that says that you should be in the game with them. Right. Right. Like that's the key. You need to be in the game. And again, if you have a unique story that is compelling that only you can tell, that's the part of the pitch that where I think you're saying, Chris, yeah, this is the time to have that discussion. But you got to have that first. Right. And that process works across all levels of funding. So this it doesn't just work. If you're pitching to Amazon or Netflix, it works if you're pitching to an angel investor in a film as well. So it's it's about, you know, making a story out of your story uh, from a perspective and, and pitch level. And um, it's funny because speaking of like niche, it's, um story about the AI robot, Nick, Erica. (laughs) And I read that and thought, I'm not going to click on this story. I'm not going to click on it. Have you, like, you've seen headlines where like, you know, for sure it's click, clickbait. Like, you know, like, you know, you're being used. You're about to be used, but you fall right into the trap anyway and and just bend over and take it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I just, I just make sure that I at least know the source (laughs) Of the clickbait, right? Like that's the key there. You click on something random, that'll get you. Yeah, for and, sure. Uh, for yeah. sure. <laughs> and, and this isn't, this is unique clickbait because you will never see it. You know, we haven't seen an, uh, a headline like this before. AI robot to star in first feature film. That That's a must click on if you're in the movie business. And um, it turns out, and th- so this is my opinion. And I could be wrong about this, and uh, but I but I hope I'm not actually. I, I think that this is just niche. So you're going to make a seventy million dollar movie where the storyline is, and it's backed by three investors. Um, uh, oh God, what are the names of those companies? Um, uh, I'll get them in a second. But but you have this movie. That's going to be made for $70 million sci-fi movie. And it's really about the making of the robot. And one of the things in the article that says is that the, the Erica robot isn't going to have to take time to learn and, and, and work on her performance, <laughs> but, oh, well. but that the engineers just have to type in the code to tell her how to act. Right. Or how she's, to feel. It's AI, imagine? dude. Like it's the, a learning robot. It'll figure so it out along the way. <laughs> it's just, it's like, like, but I don't know. But the thing is, I don't even know if that makes for a good actor. Like, does that make a good actor? Because, uh, you learned how to make a, a sad face when you think you're supposed to be like, I, we'll see what happens. Um, by the way, those, um, those companies are bonded media, uh, happy moon productions and 10, 10 global media. Those are the ones backing the $70 million sci-fi film and everybody's going to go watch it. It's going to make its money back. Everybody's going to watch it. But the reason why if you're an actor 
and or you're an upcoming actor, the reason you shouldn't throw throw away your dreams of being uh, on the big screen if you're an up and coming actor is because if every movie starred an AI robot, it would no longer be niche and those movies wouldn't make their money back. So this feels like a one or two time event to me, Nick, where they make their money on this very niche thing. Uh, we take a couple of c- congratulatory bowels, bowels, not not bowels, <laughs> not in the bowel, not in the annals. But, right. uh, you know, we congratulate the filmmakers and the engineers for doing this thing and progress, progress, progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheer, cheer, cheer. <laughs> and, uh, and then we go back to normal because I don't know if we want to see robots acting. I don't know, Nick, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think... I think we're good, like you said, with one, uh, something that's novel. Um, you know, we've seen this Erica robot before, uh, but it looks like they made of, they might have created a new robot. It looks like they, from the articles, they've created a new version of her specifically for this movie, and they've taught her how to act using method acting principles. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's they, they really want us to believe she's going to be good. Like, like the marketing has already started. Right. right? Yeah, this, yeah. This, this feels like what we've seen before where you have sort of long play PR where you start uh, a movement one year before a movie comes out about that movement. Uh, but the people in the meantime have no idea why the movement started or who started it, but it's, it's all to support something that has a $100 million budget. Uh, well, yeah, and can't, well, yeah. and can't afford to miss. Yeah, well, like they're, 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 this line says she was taught specific acting methods right. in order to nail her part. Exactly. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Well, I, again, so there was a movement. So, so I hear you about the the movement, right? Like like trying to create a movement here. But the right. other thing is that what films like this do, and I want to say films, what um, businesses like the ones that you mentioned that are financing this film do is they they leverage existing trends. So, you know, being in the uh, the IT world as I am, you know, I know that, you know, AI uh, is big uh, and is growing for just understanding content, understanding data that you have in your, you know, uh, organizational repositories, how to scrape data and learn things. There's things like, um, you know, there's machine learning. There's ways that, you know, a machine can interpret uh, emotion based off of words that are coming through on an email or in mm-hmm. the content of a letter. Uh, you Seriously. know, there's, yeah, there's robotic process automation. Like all these things are, are continuing to grow in a lot of different industry sectors. So, you know, and then robotics, you know, uh, Disney's Imagineering team has created a robot um, that can potentially replace some of the stunt actors that it has at uh, some of its parks, theme parks. And this thing is flipping ridiculous like when you see it flip up in the air and do a pose you know in the middle of the air like iron man or something or you know captain marvel then flip down perfectly and land on its feet like these types of things are you know they're real you know they're happening and you know is it a replacement for actors no i don't think they're ever going to really desire to do that on any large scale Uh, but i think in some respects where there's like a, um, like a safety concern, you know, specifically with like with stunt robots, like a stunt robot can do a thing a thousand times and no one gets hurt. And then you could say, okay, we've protect, we've perfected the sequence of events that we're going to do that now makes it safe for the humans to take over. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they come in and they, so it's a safety thing. Um, so I think that there's opportunity for the inclusion of robots um, you know, in filmmaking in some respects, but, you know, I honestly don't even think that, that humans want to see that, you know, I don't think they, yeah, that's I, not I the experience. I don't either. No. It's, it's exactly. I think we want to know our, I, I hope we still always do. Maybe there'll be a, a Neuralink sort of future where we're melded with machines. We all have Elon Musk chip in our skull and that way we, we don't get you know dominated by the AI army coming to make slaves of us all and turn us into batteries like in the Matrix. But <laughs> in the short term, this feels a little bit this feels a little bit sort of uh PRE, right? Like little little uh that's not a real word. Uh let's say uh like like feels a little like propaganda to me. It's it's 
it's very interesting how some of these uh, articles about the robot are written and, and um, would have you believe. Um, so uh, let me give you an example. <laughs> <laughs> so in this article from menshealth.com, by the way, uh, one of the hundred articles written about this. So here's one I pulled. Unlike human actors who spend copious that word's important. Who spend copious amounts of time studying and perfecting their roles while on set. Erica would only need to be programmed to collect only, by the way, only is the important word in the second sentence. Right. Yeah. Erica would only need to be programmed with the correct lines and movements for performance. That's probably a million freaking lines of code. That's not, it's not a only uh, based on what I know about programming and code. That's not a small thing to try to code into a robot that probably costs, you know, $15 million to make or more. Um, and then it's all sort of, uh, folded in with COVID, right? It's like, because, uh, actors can't come to set, it's a perfect time to use an AI robot to make a movie. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, and I don't buy that. You know, that's that's a thing. I can't, I can't, I can't with that. It's like, nope, that's not what this is, man. This is just, yeah. you know, a, a little niche sci-fi film that again is riding the wave of AI. And they've, you know, they got this robot to go to do some really cool things over the past four to five years that it couldn't do before. And like you said, they're testing this out. Like, how's this going to work? You know. And then I think that there's likely going to be. You know, on top of the the robot itself, there's likely going to be CGI and other things that, you know, may be undetectable uh, to the average watcher, uh, where we one might think that the robot is actually making that specific facial expression or doing that thing with her arms, um, but she hasn't advanced to that level yet, right? So they've had to augment even the robot to do some things. So, you know, there's going to be some movie magic happening in this. And I think, like you said, it'll, it'll sell. I mean, it's a, it's sci-fi. It's going to be backed with the, you know, crap ton of money. You know, she's the main star, but who's going to be the main actor and, you know, the, or the main actors that are supporting her slash it, um, you know, there's going to be other brands associated with this thing. So, you know, good on them. Cool. Should be interesting. Hopefully they got a great story behind it um, so that it doesn't flop on that. Uh, but it's yeah. cool. You know, hey, great idea. Let's see it happen. I mean, I'd, yeah, you know, I, I'd love to see yeah. a movie about drones. I mean, have you seen yeah, drone I races? <laughs> I haven't seen. No, dude, I you got to watch a drone race. race. You Dude, you got to watch a drone race. Okay, I'm going to write like, myself a note to watch it. Is there a it's just ridiculous channel? what these drones can. Is there a particular oh, like, man, just channel like, that does the drone races better than it, another drone man, race just, just go on, just, just go on the YouTubes. Okay, just, just go on the YouTubes. Just type in. And drone, races. In drone races. It's just ridiculous. What I'm saying is that the technology and what they're able to do with these drones, you know, the speed and the accuracy with which they fly through in through and around obstacles, you know, is just insane. You know, it's you just gotten thing, to a certain level. You want to know one thing you don't Google? My sister's birthday is tomorrow. You don't Google adult parties. Well, you should. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying you don't. Uh, you, you might. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you Google that, uh, it'll be bad. There are a couple of things like that in life, right? Where you kind of feel like you got set up. And by the way, I will go watch drone races. I'm I'm pretty pumped about it now. You've you've hyped me up. Like uh, I was in the car yesterday, and I was running errands, and I was with my youngest daughter, who's ten, and. Uh, I said, we have to run some errands. And she said, oh, why? Where are we going? And I said, we're going to Dick's. And she goes, oh, I love Dick's. I love Dick's. I said, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. She had no idea. She had right, no idea what right. I was talking no, about. No, I'm like, just... like, oh, my God. <laughs> right. <laughs> why, did say, name, yeah, exactly. why did you name your sports recreation store that? Yeah, because they could. Richard. They could. His name is Richard for sure. But, yeah. All his friends called him Dick. So, hey, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Okay. Drone races it is. But, yeah, the the only reason I mention that, again, is just that there's there's a novelty to it. There's been, you know, significant technological advancements, you know, over the years. And I think that, you know, know, filmmaking is a great way 
to show that off, you know, well, and, well, let and me be clear. to push let, the let limits of it. In, in case I wasn't clear, sorry to interject here. Let me be clear. Let me be clear. I'm going to watch the movie. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not being hypocrite. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Uh, that's and apparently it's going to be a modern version of Frankenstein where this robot escapes the lab and all hell breaks loose. So I already know the storyline. It's kind of in a way IP and I'm into it. So there you go. Nick. Cool. Very good. You going to watch it? Yeah. Yeah. I'll check it out. Just, you know, are you too, too busy watching drone races? Oh man. Too? I watch drone races all day. Freaking, uh, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll watch Erica. Bro. I'll watch Erica with you. There it goes. I, I wanted to circle back on some things we talked about for a couple of indie talks this year that were all based on the time we live in. Um, and one of those things was the the hot pursuit, the rumors of AMC and other theaters being bought out and acquired by the likes of um, Amazon, Apple, Disney. Uh, and following that story a little bit, I think one of the reasons why we might not see it, and uh, it it. it probably was explored. I'm not going to say that these companies didn't explore it because where there's smoke, there's fire. But one of the reasons we might not see it happen is because of the nature of the theater business um, that we oftentimes don't think about. And as uh, investors, me and you have thought about it in the past, but especially as we're sort of consulting or consulting uh, with, with filmmakers and creatives, but we don't think about it when we think of theaters commonly, which is that the theater business is a real estate business, similar to the franchise business. Um, Whatever's on that land is what's on that land. That's the business for that franchise owner. But the larger uh, owner that that owns the brand, they're, they're in the real estate business, right? And so that's what theaters do. They buy up a bunch of land. They put a theater on it. And to support the lease on that land, there has to be a certain density uh, inside that theater for it to work. Uh, that being said, uh, Amazon and Apple and, and Disney, they're all content creators and technology creators and tech creators. They don't know anything about real estate. They don't have that infrastructure to support that part of the business. And so I think that Nick might've been what has scared them off for now. Yeah, maybe so. And, and, you know, there's, there's other ways for them to, get out of the, the home screen. Um, I was just, uh, reading about the, the partnership that Amazon has with, uh, Michael B. Jordan, uh, to do these drive-in theater, uh, was a night of the drive-in. So, you know, bringing content, existing content, stuff that's already on the Amazon shelf, you know, out to drive-in theaters, I guess, across the country or in maybe specific places, but, you know, content that otherwise would not have been available to that drive-in theater. Now Amazon is, and Michael B. Jordan, his group was at the Outliers, are making it available. So, you know, how does that work? You know, now you've got Amazon through partnerships showing up at drive-in theaters. You know, so maybe that's, you know, that this is the thing is like they haven't let it go. You know, the idea of having a, a more physical um, experience type presence when it comes to consuming film content. So maybe it's they're, they're, they're seeing something that, you know, maybe it's coming over the horizon that, you know, that model is kind of dying out or is shifting significantly. Cause you know, what's the benefit of the drive-in is that you're social distance while you're watching the movie. So, you know, maybe that's the business that, Amazon and others are really trying to get into and the theater model doesn't necessarily, you know, currently support that. So what else can they do? And I think that drive-in just, just seeing that I'm like, Hmm, you know, this, this can't be the end of it. What else are they thinking about doing? Well, right. And drive-ins let them double down on what their hedgehog is, right? Which is content delivery. That's for Amazon. So in that way, you would think that Disney would be the, most positioned player to, to purchase a theater chain because they're in the real estate business. When they build a, a Disneyland or a Disney world across the globe, they kind of understand that, but there are a lot of different games you have to play. Uh, I started thinking about, and, and after talking to some people on the business side in film, 
getting this concept in my head and reading some stories on it as well, it's the, the moat that that theater and the theater business has built around itself is, you know, decently resilient. Uh, and so when we talk about moat, we talk about the things that protect uh, that business, that business model from competitors or disruptors. And the moat is not just the real estate and not just the fact that they sort of have leverage, they have leverage within the movie business, but they also are great at concession, food delivery, and um, all these different things that happen, all these businesses, these are like business verticals that happen inside the greater business of theater, right? So they do film acquisition, they do distribution, they do branding and marketing, they're in the real estate business primarily, uh, they're in uh, the concession business, Dude. which kind of works like a circus. Dude. Yeah. I just had a, you just gave me a thought that's like blowing my mind right now. I love when I do that. Oh, dude, okay. I gotta, I gotta drop it. So you mentioned the real estate, you mentioned concessions. We're talking and like, like who's really good at that. And then who's got space that might actually be available for use. Man, it freaking blew my mind just now. <laughs> dude, you ready for this? I'm ready. What if McDonald's starts showing movies, dude, because they got space they can't use anymore. There's space. There's dining space in every McDonald's that is closed because of COVID. And everybody's accepted the fact that you can just go through the drive-thru. So what if they open the doors up to a movie theater experience where you get your Coke and your cheeseburger and your french fries all mm -hmm. right there. And it's a, you know, it's not going to be cheap, right? Because the space isn't that big and it's designed, you know, this idea of, of social distancing. You know, you're going to have to make sure that there's only so many people who are coming in. But imagine a family of, you know, 10, Right. I mean, it's it's family. It's, you know, it's your brother, your sister, your mother, your dad, your cousin, you know, going to see a movie in a McDonald's. I always hours. think McDonald's. So this is an interesting concept because I'm happy that you thought of this because it is integrative thinking. Right. And, and when we talk about integrative thinking on this podcast, uh, we're talking about two seemingly unrelated ideas yep. that come together and create a new idea that's better than the other two on their own. So I love that you're combining the theater business with McDonald's, but I think you had to had it right the first time, which is why don't you have a McDonald's driving? Right. Because if you, if you showed the movie in a McDonald's, it would violate the business model that McDonald's has. Like, so McDonald's is also in the real estate business. Uh, people yeah. think they're in the burgers and fries business. It's real they're in the real estate business. Yep. And the, um, the reason the model works is because of that sign they have, uh, that lets you know how big their balls are uh, before you pull in to, to order your food, which is billions and billions served. Their model works because they can serve a customer every couple of seconds. Yeah. And so that's like foot corner. traffic. That's, that's the representation of their density that I was talking about with the theater business. The theater business has a different model because they need to be dense, um, but at two hours at a time. Mm -hmm. And so they need a film that has a niche like the movie Erica starring the AI robot. They need that movie to be attractive to a group that doesn't care about their health and well-being. So 16 to 24 year old boys and men. So they'll consume lots of Coke and popcorn and hot dogs and pizza and play video games. And then they need their theaters to be massive. The biggest, the, big, the more people they can seat, the better, as long as they can fill that up. Uh, every time. So how would McDonald's get to that game? Drive-ins. And what would make the drive-in different? Fuck McDonald's. McDonald's. And that's but I'm, what I'm saying is I think that's, so that's a great idea, but also exploit the real estate that they currently have. And, you know, what you just mentioned about this, um, the drive-in is also a great idea, depending on what times they want to close, how they want to restructure the current facilities, because they basically have a drive-through that easily through the addition of some screens and some overhead, you know, protection, basically it can become a drive-in. 
So you take mm-hmm. that and you add on the fact that they've got internal, right? Inside, they've got real estate that's not being used because, you know, they're not letting people in. Well, let them in for a unique, you know, movie experience and they can basically run 24-7. What if, what if every time when you went to go buy your tickets to the movie, it was actually just a drive-through? And so, and so when you go to buy your ticket through the drive-through window, uh, you have to also order your number six or whatever that is. Like, I don't even know what a number six is. I don't know <laughs> right. but you get a number six and supersize it. And then you drive through and find your assigned slot uh, and prepare for your film in the parking lot. See what I'm saying? Right. Like it's, this, yeah. these are things. So I saw the McDonald's uh, that's near us convert from, you know, a, what do you call it? A flat kind of paper, uh, signage, you know, in the back, the menu was all, you could call it just manual, right? Manual to mm-hmm. screens. Right. And I saw them convert or even add in the, the screens where you could the, the touch screens where you could order your food and just how quickly they made this change and how seamless it seemed, how integrated it was. Like it was just one day, it was normal McDonald's. Next day, it was digital McDonald's. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they're able to make these switches, especially with the digital experience so quickly, then why not this experience? Yeah. And, and now you're making me think about another thing that's been on my mind. And we had this in our little personal group chat. And we have a bunch of little group chats with filmmakers and creatives. But in this particular chat, you know, the reason they're able to make, we, we talked about sort of money and how money, uh, lowers the the skill level bar that you have to cross in order to do a thing. So McDonald's has so much cash that they could switch from McDonald's to digital McDonald's like overnight. Yep. Right. And that happens in film, right? Like if, if you have an over $100 million production budget, it's, it's nothing like, it's, it's nothing like making an independent film. Or it's nothing like making a narrative film in general. Like, you know, the pressure that our filmmakers had on them on set to get it right, you know, the first, second, third, fourth time, the 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 cost of making a major mistake or needing a reshoot or having to do ADR or like do pickups, that's real. That's like filmmaking. That's the filmmaking you learn in film school where you have to go and make good decisions and have great judgment the first time or the second time, or just realize that you're not going to make a great movie. But when your budget is high, you you don't have to, um, that the pressure, it's a different kind of pressure because now you have to make all this money back, but in a way it's already made back for you. And you know, at the very least, you're going to have a sonically, uh, visually uh, beautiful film. Right. Because you're going to get Hans Zimmer to do your score. So no problem. That's going to be great. Uh, You can afford to have a thousand person VFX team come in and make every scene real. Um, When we mean you took a tour of Technicolor, uh, there was nothing that looked like it belonged in the film world there. Uh, Except for maybe the the pods they had that allowed us to do a... um, a virtual reality or view a virtual reality experience, I should say, wasn't even like viewing it, experiencing a virtual reality short film, but you know, the, it was just a different type of soundstage. It was just an empty space with a bunch of super, super, super computers and a bunch of different sort of camera rigs that were built that were incredible. So, but you know, movies today are made with, three guys or girls standing in the middle of a room saying their lines. And then when they come back, they're in the middle of a jungle. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, like, so there's, there just becomes a line where you don't have to like making a shift that seems dramatic to us is not so dramatic if the funds are there. Yeah. It's like, you know, let's not pay for the location and all that. And the, you know, have to right. get get rights and permissions and privileges. Just let's just superimpose that, you know, in the background exactly. and, and take like, care of that. If you think <laughs> about what a film production crew, like like an independent film or let's say a narrative film production team has to go through to try to like acquire locations 
get permissions, call in every freaking favor they've ever, they ever have coming to them just to get the movie made, you know, make the set look just right. And then when your production budget's a hundred million, it's like, nah, we're just gonna, they won't know it's a cartoon. <laughs> we're just gonna, you know what I mean? So it's just, it, I, I get it. Like I respect it. It's a whole skill set that I, you know, that I can't even begin to understand because I can't create it. And I'm a true believer. If you can't create it, you can't understand it, but it's uh, at least fully, but it's just different. It's not filmmaking the way we think about it, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, again, we just bring it back. So, you know, for the independent filmmaker, you know, what does this mean? Because this isn't your world and you're competing against that for eyeballs. And, you know, my thing is it gets right back to the why you discussion again, you know, people want to see, unique content you know they they want to see new stuff you know and they of course is they want to see quality stuff that's that's a given i guess you, you could say but you know those stories out there that are unique to you you know they can have a life they can compete for eyes and even in in i guess this modern digital streaming world maybe you're not even competing necessarily it's just if you have something unique enough that speaks to the right audience Maybe they actually will find you today, you know, because there people are consuming so much. It's not like they're like, it's this or that it's this and that, you know? So now it's just a matter of, um, you know, again, if you've got something compelling, you've got something unique, um, and not necessarily just unique to you. You know, we mentioned about, you know, having a, a story that you can uniquely tell, uh, one of the other very important parts or things for independent filmmakers is if your story that you can only uniquely tell um, echoes the feelings, the sentiments, the experiences or the history of a community, then you've got something. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's when, as you mentioned, Chris, you know, if you're pitching something to someone, you know, when, the why me for the investor is because you want that investor to be part of that community. Right. Or those investors to be part of that community. You want the community to to support you. You want the community out there looking for you. You want that community to go with you, you know, on your journey as you're making that film. And while these other films that are hundred million dollar budgets are are leveraging CGI and robots and all sorts of other stuff, that's great. That's entertainment. People want to see that, but people also want to see themselves on the screen. Right. And that's one of the things that some of these larger budget films uh, don't do. They actually provide the escape. They provide a new world. They provide something else for people uh, to, to, you know, escape into. Um, but, you know, we are humans and, and we do want this connection to people and real things and real experiences. So so as an independent, that's that's your charge. You know, your charge is to find a story or to create one that is that only you can uniquely tell that you are uniquely qualified to tell, but at the same time echoes the sentiments of a community that you can bring with you to the screen. And hopefully echoes the sentiments of the investors. A good investor is an investor who can see themselves in the community or see themselves as part of that community or part of that story. Um, If you find an investor like that, then they're going to invest in your movie. Because they're going to relate to it and they're going to be on the journey with you. The money's the money can only take you so far. We hear that our entire lives. You know, it's it's not going to money's not the answer. It's not going to make you happy or anything like that. It's what you can do with the money that really makes you happy. And to to bring this back home before we get out of here um, about why, you know, the whole acquisition thing, it might just be that there's another play that might be even more profitable and be in the wheelhouse of Disney and, and Apple and Amazon and the like. And it could be this really strong movement toward um, free ad supported TV is what we call fast. And this is blowing up. And the biggest stake on the plate right now is Roku. Their stock price is up 12 to 15%. Um, blood could be in the water and we could see Google, um, go and, and buy Roku, uh, as well. We could see Amazon try to make that play if Google doesn't make the purchase. Uh, but it really makes sense. Um, the, the, uh, irony of it, and there's good news for independent filmmakers in here, by the way, the irony of it is 
we all left and cut our cords so that we could pay less and curate our TV. And then cable just said, uh, okay, well, we'll just take all of our channels and services and then go where you're going. We'll just follow you where you went, <laughs> create it in the medium that makes you comfortable and then sell it back to you that way. And that's kind of what's happening right now. So when we think of free ad supported TV, we're just talking about TV here. Like this is just TV as you grow up watching it, you know, Seinfeld, Friends, whatever. Uh, except now it'll be on your Roku or your Fire TV or your Apple TV or even on your smart TVs, LG, Samsung, etc. And you'll watch it and, and, and instead of turning to a channel, you'll click into an app and then that app will give you a list of channels. So one great example right now is Pluto, Pluto TV. Pluto TV has 189 exclusive channels. 251 total channels. That sure sounds like cable to me, Nick. Yeah, um, it does. But, so. <laughs> but the thing is, is like, I guess there's a marketing thing that I might be missing out on when it comes to that. Cause you know, we mentioned, I mentioned to you that I've got a smart TV and you know, it's got all these channels on it that, you know, I, I will say that I almost never watch. I will say they got me the other day, some Jeff Corwin stuff going on. He's like, touring around the world. And I got, I got hooked on that uh, with the kids, but it's like, I see it's there, but I never click on it. Right. Like I never watch it. I go straight to the thing that I turn the TV on to watch, you know, am I but, missing? But let me, let me jump in here Yeah, because um, I don't think you're missing anything. I think we're just announcing something that's that we're early on and it's good to be early. Like we, we're here to provide value to this audience to let them know that they can be early on a thing too. So Pluto TV has 24 million viewers right now, right? That's a lot of viewers, but not compared to the 180 million that Netflix has. That right. seems so ubiquitous. It would be big for cable TV. It's not big in the streaming world, right? So Zumo, which Comcast owns, I think it's how you pronounce it. I hope I pronounced that right. It has 10 million viewers, for example. So this stuff is emerging. It's coming. It's not quite here yet. And the way to think about it to me is, is if I'm a, if I'm a film producer and a filmmaker, is this beneficial to me as an indie because I have one throat to choke? Like, can I go directly to LG and then sell my movie to them to put on their streaming a service that has channels and maybe I, maybe my movie shows up the way that Shawshank Redemption shows up, you know, <laughs> once a week right. on seven different channels within their network. Yeah. Can I go directly to Redbox and instead of you putting my movie in a Redbox machine outside of a Walgreens, can you just put it on your streaming uh, you know, service that has um, I mean, Redbox isn't the largest, but they have 44 channels. Hey, play me on one of your 44 movie channels. And then can I be on a cycle, right? Because we already know that the biggest trick in the game is that you don't get fair market value for the thing you created, right? So you made a, you spent a million dollars to create a movie. Amazon gives you $6 or six cents an hour, right? That's not fair market value for the thing you created. Right. Like, you know, not all movies fall into that six cents an hour gig, but independent films are very likely to fall into that, Yep, that pay structure rather. So if Redbox can stream my movie a bunch of times, let's say at 15 cents, that's still going to be better because it's just playing on a television station now at this point. Uh, I hope it would be way, way, I hope it would be way, way more. And I hope it'd be a flat fee licensing if they're going to play it over and over again. Right. That's what I would want. But I'm just saying that that's even a better deal at that rate than having it on Amazon and leaving it up to the viewer to click on my movie out of 10 million movies, right? So needle in a haystack, literally, unless you're promoting the hell out of it, right? Yeah, and I'm wondering... Like I'd rather it just be playing on a channel where I yeah. know it's playing if I could cut that deal. And you have so many, right? Yeah, Peacock that's coming out now uh, soon, TiVo Plus, you've got Samsung, you've got Vizio, you've got... There's there's one called Stir that has 110 channels. Um, I, I think um, I think you're going to see more and more and more fast services 
And again, FAST stands for free ad supported TV. That's the new game. I think Amazon's or Google's about to jump in. I think Apple's going to jump in. And all we're going to have are the big boys providing cable TV in in our digital services, essentially. Yeah, it's it presents the same the challenge, though, cable. to the indie filmmakers because the big boys are doing big things with the other big boys and girls, right? So right. they're not looking for the independence of the world uh, to put content you know, on those channels necessarily. Um, I wonder if Nick, you could sell to the individual channels or would you have to sell to the owner of the cha- of the, of the network? Well, I think you would sell to the individual channels unless of course, you know, That'd the, yeah, but I think there's the, the balance that the network may own, you know, a number of those channels. So if you want to get on one of those, you got to sell to them, but there are, you know, tons of Roku channels that, you know, individuals, you know, people like you and, you and myself have just created and put out there, right? So there's an opportunity for you to get your content um, onto those channels. But, yeah, what is the, the payout? You know, what is that model? You know, I'm not sure what that yeah. model is. Uh, and, you know, if you're going to individual channels, then the model is going to be different for everyone that you go to, which is not dissimilar to the current distribution model, right? Going to a distributor, you know, what you're in a, what your licensing period is, you know, whether there's an MG or not, you know, the split that you're going to get from them, it is all different. And basically that's what you're looking at when you look at these channels, each of them is a, their own individual distributor. So you're going to have to deal with whatever the terms are there. So I think it, it can be a challenge. Uh, I think it's interesting that, you know, there's a there's a push in this direction. That there are so many followers or subscribers, excuse me, uh, to those existing channels that you mentioned. Well, not, well, not subscribers, viewers. And viewers. So, okay, so viewers because it's free. So, so here, here would be the experience, right? I would turn on my TV. Right. I'd go to my Apple TV. Yes, I I'd have. I'd find it. the Pluto TV app. I'd click in that, and then I'd just be – you're watching uh, treated you're watching to, a, cable. to cable television within that app and it's free because they run ads. Yeah, there's commercials. So yeah, I have that. So um, even, even if you were yeah. going to promote your movie, maybe that's an idea for an independent creative to think about as well to say, okay, I wonder what ad space costs inside of Redbox where people are watching movies right. or Pluto TV. And then at the same time, have my movie run on one of these channels. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the idea here is that, um, it provides another venue for independent filmmakers to do something, whether it's commercials, like you mentioned, whether it's potentially to get your stuff onto, um, you know, what do you call it? I guess a private channel or a channel that's been put out there. Right. Linear, you know, already, channel. Yeah, linear channel. So there's, there's definitely opportunities there. And I'm actually wondering, I'm curious about how, you know, these TV manufacturers, uh, are going to push that content because I'll just tell you the way that the, my Samsung TV does it is that it is always the first thing that comes on when I turn my TV on. Mm. Right. So basically yeah. what I'm doing is, and, and they're showing me content, right? So, you know, maybe, or maybe not, they've gotten to the point that they've been, you know, monitoring, you know, which channels I go to and, you know, which streaming services I use, and maybe they're able to leverage that, you know, in their algorithm to figure out what kind of content to display on the screen so that I will watch it. Uh, but right now, that's what happens. And I basically have to then click out of that onto Netflix or Amazon or whatever I intended to watch. So I'm curious as, you know, these TVs be, or the, you know, fast becomes uh, more prevalent or they're pushing it more, if the way that they'll advertise it, which is, you know, basically the way that they'll get you to watch it is that they'll actually force you to opt out of the experience. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that I thought that, you know, my Samsung TV should do instead of just presenting me with, you know, content that's, that's you know, streaming is actually show me the, their TV guide, right? Like pop up with that and show me all the things that I could be watching. Show me all right. the channels that are available to me. And then that may, might make me go, oh, snap, I can watch this here. <laughs> right. Like, oh, snap, mm-hmm. there's a mm-hmm. Minecraft channel and my son loves Minecraft. And maybe the content there is more curated for kids. And it's, you know, that I don't have to worry about what he might be listening to on YouTube. You know, I can I can move him there. Oh, OK, great. Let's do it. But I, so I think that that might be the next step is literally you're going to have to every time you turn your TV on opt out of the fast experience to get into one of your other apps. And at some point, like we talk about, you know, marketing and the having to see something seven times, 
You know, if you see it, if you opt out enough times and you see this content, at some point, something in that content is going to hit you and you're going to click on it just because you're curious to see what the experience is like. And if you like the experience, you'll probably come back. So I think that's what's going to end up happening is they're going to force you to opt out of it every time you turn your TV on. You know, Samsung terrifies me. I had to go 10 levels deep in their menu on my smart TV to get them to turn their microphone off or to get the TV to uh, not be recording my conversations in the room, which maybe I should just get used to the new reality. But um, (laughs) (laughs) but either way, Nick, interesting times we live in. Um, This has been a fun first half of the year um, conversation, man. Like I, I enjoyed it and. And look, I, I, I go back to call back to what you said at the beginning of the conversation. The way I said it sounded half glass, empty. No, 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 no. Uh, I am a big optimist. So I'm probably to a fault. And um, you know, that's why I have you around <laughs> to, to curb my enthusiasm. Yeah. Um, and uh, I actually believe, you know, if you, if, if, if you don't have optimism and hope, uh, not only will you diminish your morale, but you could also disintegrate your morals. So uh, stay positive, everybody out there. Stay safe, stay healthy. Um, Even if we did see our shadow and we have six more months of COVID, I think we'll all get through it just fine. And it'll all seem like a dream in in soon enough time. Uh, Nick, uh, any parting words for the audience before uh, we roll? Yeah, I've actually got got two things. So the first one I have to leave you with is, um, you know, be better be creative, be engaged. It's what we're about. It's what we believe that the filmmaking community is all about. And, uh, you know, we want, we live it every day and we hope that comes through in everything that we do. And the next thing is, Chris, you said, you know, we want to, uh, kind of live a positive life and, and have things that, that make us smile. And I'd like to offer you this. I'd like for everyone who's listening, uh, to ask a family member to say toy boat, three times fast. <laughs> All right. Now, 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 Chris, I'm going to have to ask you, bro. Go ahead, man. Toy boat three times fast. You ready? Yep. Go for it. Toy boy. Toy boy. Wait, toy boy or toy boat? No, what he's about to say. Toy boat. Just say it three oh, times fast. To, I don't know why I would want to say toy boy. <laughs> <laughs> if that wasn't on brand. Uh, no. Uh, okay. Toy boat. Toy boat. Toy boat. Right. No, I said three times fast, man. Go hit it. That was really fast, dude. No, it wasn't. Go ahead. Then do it five times fast. Go for it. Toy boy. <laughs> <laughs> Toy boat, toy boat, toy boy, toy. It's so hard to do. I don't know why. <laughs> I appreciate that laugh. And honestly, anybody who's listening, have some fun. Do the toy boat <laughs> to see what happens with your friends and family. It will be laughs all around. If you do toy boat and you fail like I did, <laughs> you just say back to the person that asked you to do that, big jam, which is... Fuck, I'm good. Just ask me. Uh, so, th- so they can remind you. So that you can be. They can be reminded of uh, of your excellence and all of the things, uh, except for that phonic uh, gymnastics that That's right. uh, you filled in. A uh, couple other things coming up. Hey, next six months we'll have great interviews. So keep listening to those wonderful interviews with our uh, independent film creatives. We're going to have a couple of new series coming out, short form, really tight, concise little nuggets for you to enjoy throughout the year and uh, should bring a lot of value as well. Those are all going to launch in the uh, second half of this year. Uh, We don't talk about it enough, but do you know that we have uh, a ton of written content posted on our website at bonsai.film? So go to industry insights at bonsai.film and you can read at least 30 plus posts, 35 plus posts, uh, that are all indie film related, as well as getting our COVID-19 back to work, back to set checklist, uh, as well as all the relevant links to our podcast and pos- uh, past podcast episodes. 
you can find us on social media, not just uh, on the web, but also on social media. On Instagram at underscore Bonsai Creative, at Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative. On Facebook, just by searching for Bonsai Creative, we'll come right up. And you can reach us individually, both on Twitter. Uh, Nick is at Nicholas Bugs. I am at Flame in Your Heart. Your is spelled just you are, the letters you are, so flame in your heart. And we'll get right back to you there. If you have general questions, and uh, we had a lot of feedback from the uh, Tanner Peterson episode, appreciate that. Uh, people reaching out to us, emailing us uh, at contact at bonsai.film. So you can email us questions, give us comments, feedback uh, at contact at bonsai.film or on any of our social media channels. And we'll get right back to you. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, so, Nick, give us that uh, toy boat uh, three times, please, and sign us off. All right, here we go. Toy boat, toy boat, toy boat. <laughs> Ooh, I almost lost it. <laughs> My mouth hurts trying to do that, dude. Oh, God, you bastard. I got it. Right. I literally felt like I was slipping off the ledge at the end. <laughs> I should have asked you to do it five times. Yeah, exactly. I would have been done. Oh, crap. <laughs> I would have All been right. done. So, yeah, man, you, you get your family on it. It's, it's the best. Nick, I'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. You take it easy, my friend. You too, brother. Be safe. Right. Peace. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It, Bonsai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, Go to www.bonsai.film and click on Book Us to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.